I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. Hi there, podcast fans. I'm Tom Gibbs. Welcome to Telegraph Audio Football Club. Today, the World Cup concludes as many of us expected, with the USA seeing off the Netherlands and lifting the trophy. Was the entire tournament a foregone conclusion, and what will be the long-term impact of France 2019 on the women's game? The podcast panel consider these important questions and more. It's a load of nonsense from Phil Neville, who dismisses the third-place playoff with all the grace of a child who has just missed out on a podium finish in an egg-and-spoon race. Is he the man to take England further? Plus, we dish out some much coveted AFC imaginary awards and celebrate the standout moments from the tournament. Let's take you now into the audio recording facility where I'm joined by the offside rules, Kate Borsay. Kate, how many times are you speaking into a microphone today? <laughs> oh God, I think this is this is my third session. Already? already. And we're only at 11.24am. Yeah, and then I've got another one after this and then I've got a whole afternoon full. Wonderful. Wonderful. I've never had so much fuzzy microphone action. <laughs> Ready for a rest soon. Alongside her, as ever, tactics hero, the pulsating brain of JJ Bull. How are you, JJ? Pulsating. Good. Yes. Great. Um, I don't know what to say to that. No. I no. can actually see it pulsate from oh, here. Oh, wow. Blimey. <laughs> this is a whole new audio I don't know what showing. <laughs> Just about keeping her composure, it's our colleague Hadra Rahim. What's going on, Hadra? I'm sad. Oh, I'm sad that it's over. I feel like I just want to watch some more. I'm not finished yet. I need a little bit more football. WSL starts soon. Yeah. September. Yeah. (laughs) It's close enough. It's close enough. Well, the championship starts in August. But yeah, yeah, you're right. I, 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 I am feeling this big gape as well and I guess we've got the men's stuff coming up and there's an international in November but I I really feel like we need to be doing something in the next few weeks please well Aberdeen play their first European qualifier on Thursday fabulous I guess I'll, team from Lapland I'll be I'm there not making it up. no I won't be there I'll be there <laughs> far less exciting Aberdeen men's team unfortunately but let's not get too sad. Let's look back on the fun we've had along the way, especially Sunday's final, a record fourth World Cup win for the United States of America. Were we naive to expect any other conclusion at the beginning of the tournament, Kate? This seemed, it was preordained. 
At the beginning of the tournament, I don't know. I have to say, um, I fancied them like everyone else, but I really fancied France as well. And I really wanted what, what happened to the Netherlands at the Euros when they were the home side. I really wanted that to happen to France. I was willing it on. Um, and it didn't happen. And I really wanted England to have a bit of luck and be able to find their way into the final. It didn't happen. And who's there to sweep up, to you know, knock luck on the head, to you know, give, a, give a big V's up to anyone wishing and, and sort of hoping for host nation joy to send a side through to the final and then win it, USA. Just absolutely organised, clinical, battered the opposition off like they were small, annoying flies. <laughs> and they did it. And, and fair play to them because they deserved it as well. You weren't a massive fan, Hadra, earlier this tournament of this USA team. Have you warmed up to them? Yes. Good. And I say that begrudgingly. <laughs> I really have. I think that the best team won. They played well and... Yeah, they were, you know, a little bit arrogant about it, but I loved that. I thought, you know, they've they've gone out knowing that they're the best and w- there's fun in having that that arrogance there. Yeah. Like I really enjoyed that they were like, yes, we're the best in the world, we're going to show it. It was brilliant. Yeah. I I they've really grown on me. That saved them for me. That, you know, pride and that message for equal rights, for standing up for girls, for fighting for it and for not sitting back in any game. They didn't rest on their laurels. They, you know, you know, for every game like it was the last one for them. Um, but that's the overriding message for me, I think, that, that the USA have made a success of this World Cup because of all the other stuff around it. It's a really hard thing to be really good, expected to be the best, to project that and do it successfully, I think. I, I think there's lots of examples within football and other sports where teams come unstuck doing that. So how much of this and the, the win of this tournament for America is down to their mental strength? Loads. I think... You know, they there was that famous quote from their coach, Jill Ellis, about how they live in pressure. Other teams visit pressure, she said, but we live in pressure. I mean, such a Yankism, right? Annoying, right? True? Yes, probably true. Yeah. Um, she came up with another blinder, actually, um, after the final where, where she was talking about Megan Rapinoe. And she said, some players are put under the spotlight and they burn. Um, other players thrive. And that's Megan Rapinoe. And that's that's the American team to some extent, isn't it? They they are not worried about... You know, I think I've said this before. It's, it isn't that they think they're going to win. It's just that they don't entertain that they might fail. I like how they're sort of like a children's cartoon team that just always wins. You never see who the, the defeated... Uh, protagonist really is but they're like the hurricanes this American <laughs> team they know they're going to win when they turn up they also had the best players so it helps it. but I think it's entirely in mentality you see when you need the semi-final um, and then get through to the final it tends to be that the team who loses their handle on the situation is the one that doesn't win but USA just knew they were going to win they had loads of incredible chance and this is paraphrasing massively but something like um, we are USA and we will win. We, I mean, it's stuff like that. Stuff, you know, really defiant chance. There was one for equal pay as well, by the way, in the final, which we'll probably talk about later, but that was awesome. But just this, just this chant where they're like, you know, we are USA and we will win. That's it. End of. Thank you very much. How did they approach the final, JJ? What sort of performance was it from the Americans? Um, I think um, Holland set up quite well to try and nullify them and they kept them quiet for a wee bit. But you saw that when Holland, they were trying to break against them and when, when they did, they didn't really have the quality going forward. Um, they played Bierenstein sort of, I think, more centrally for a, for a bit of it. Miedema dropped a bit behind them. But uh, the USA still relied on like Heath on the right and Rapino on the left. They can break, they can keep the ball much better. They can move it through the midfield. The fullbacks get forward. 
Um, I think their approach was just to not do anything stupid, keep it calm, and then win. <laughs> that's that's basically the only team talk that the manager needs to give. There's certain players you need to be aware of, um, but like nothing really. Holland didn't really offer too much, and the players that could have affected it. I mean, Martins didn't do anything in that game or all tournament. Really. No, she was disappointing. And yeah. actually, you're exactly right about the Netherlands. What we must credit them for is, um, you know, appearing not to be very much engaged with this tournament, yet ending up in the final. Yeah. You know, never appearing to pe- play particularly well. But perhaps that's their gift. They don't appear to be dynamic or play well in any sense of it, and then they end up in the final. And how they did it, of course, is they set up defensively. They had that strong. T- defensive unit and what that meant was that all of their energies were focused on that back line and not on going forward and they did the job didn't they for 60 minutes um but very much so when the tide turned for the usa i think you know all of us sat there and said that's it now you know as soon as they can uh, as uh, as soon as they won a penalty that's it oh as soon as that was i think uh, i was looking for xg stuff earlier on and before it it was I think it was like 0.4 to 0.2 or something before the penalty, and uh, 0.4 was in USA's favour. But after it, it just rockets up to like uh, 1.2 or 0.8. Yeah. It's, it's a massive difference. Because as soon as you have that, that one-goal lead, Holland now lo- no longer can sit back and bring it on to them and try and hit it on the counter. But what annoyed me most about watching Holland play in that game is that when they did counter, the final ball was always... It was just poor. It, there was no... They couldn't find the player they wanted. It's not that no one was in position, but they were breaking at speed. Like uh, Miedema would often get the ball as the highest player forward, and then she would hold off on the shot because she knew it would get blocked, but there was no one to support her when she came forward, and then it would break down. And I think that's what happened. Because they set up defensively, they lacked, and they were probably afraid of driving players forward because they know as anyone else that if the USA do block that shot and they have an awesome defence got to, and, and they've also got a, a midfield which will you know flow so easily between both the front and the back line. What did you make of the Netherlands' performance, Hadra? They did look a bit psychologically broken when uh, America got the penalty. Yeah, I think very much like what you said, they they weren't really... There was a few times where I was just like, somebody would pass the ball and there would just be no one there to take it. Or, you know, there should have been times where they passed it or they just didn't take the shot. It just lacked a little bit, I think. I, I felt really bad for them because I really wanted them to win. I just thought it would be amazing if they kind of came out there. But I don't think they played badly. I think they gave it a really good shot. And for that, for me, it made an interesting match. And the fact that they were quite physical as well was very interesting. Lots of pushing and shoving, and um, which I haven't really seen before. Um, Aside from obviously in the England game. England tries, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. well, yeah. Um, But yeah, I thought it was interesting. I thought it was a shame, really. There was something Hope Solo said earlier in the tournament. She went, um, if you start kicking Alex Morgan, she disappears from the game. And then we heard about it every single time the USA played afterwards. (laughs) So everyone had cottoned on to it, including everyone watching. Yeah, I mean, basically she said that Alex Morgan does not like to be. That's what you want. You get get stuck into them. I mean, you see it with a lot of lower teams. I'm thinking like men's Premier League football. Like if you're a worse team, you just kick them a bit and you put off the fancy players. Physical, yeah. And then you can get an advantage. And I think that that worked to an extent and it breaks up the play as well. So you don't want you to keep flowing forward and getting up the pitch. So it just... She, I, I mean, she also simulated a bit, didn't she? Alex Morgan did it. I, I think yes, know, but I, fantastic I think when she went of down, lying down. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. When yeah. she goes down, I think it's often because she knows she's not getting the foul, and like, yeah. and then if, you, if the referee can't see it, it, then you'd know that if you go down, you end up getting the free kick. It's an annoying part of refereeing because you could argue, well, well, it wasn't a foul if you didn't go down, but if you're being held back and there's just no physical way to show that you're being uh, impeded, yeah. then how do you do yeah. it? Yeah. One player who really shone for the Netherlands, the Golden Glove winner, Van Vienendal. She was in great form all tournament, Kate, with 
often spoken in previous years about goalkeeping standards in women's football. Was this the tournament that, yeah. that dispelled the myths about yes, yes, goalkeeping? Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I have to say that is one of the marked differences. I think everyone's um, everyone's football improved if we're going to compare this against 2015 where there were some bad refereeing performances, there were some bad defensive performances. It wasn't a rubbish World Cup, but you could see the difference there. And there were some questionable goalkeeping performances as well and what you got this time was the goalkeepers just absolutely bossing it um there were a I few mistakes i can't really remember one big clanger no, during I the entire tournament I, I, mean, I mean i can remember a few mistakes there was um one goalkeeper who bundled it back into her own net and i can't remember who it was it the was. scotland goalkeeper yeah. oh yes it was <laughs> lee alexander hello well played kate nice great, to be set up there great uh yes um the so, goalkeeper had a bit of trouble as well but she's yes five foot four yeah, or something. yeah 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 yeah, exactly. And I think you have to look at um, Van Villendel, who doesn't doesn't have a club. You know, she's 29. She's up for grabs now. But also Christiane Endler as well, the Chile keeper, who was spectacular against USA. And I know you don't often say that if you lose 3-0 against a side, but it could have been into double figures again had Christiane Endler not been in that goal. She plays for PSG. She's the product of professional goalkeeping coaching. And that's the difference in this tournament is that you've got, you know, specific goalkeeping coaching or you've got a lot more dedicated time to your goalkeepers now in clubs that are generally more professionally run. What about the USA, Kate? They have some of their players presumably reaching the end of the road for their international careers. The coach as well, been in her job for a while potentially. Considering retirement, where do they go from here? Well, Jill Ellis is an interesting one, their coach, because she is five years into the job now. And it's unusual to get any coach who survived two World Cup cycles, which she's done in that five years, let alone go for a third one. She was asked about her contract because it's it's up for renewal. She gets half a million quid a year. She gets another $200,000 for winning this World Cup. Is this a nice signing off for her? I don't think it is. I don't think Jill Ellis's job is done yet, I have to say. She'll have one eye on the Olympics. Now, she messed up um, three years ago at the Olympics. So I think she has that axe to grind. And I think she will want to take the team. As long as the terms are right, she will want to take the team forward. She's got a teenage daughter. There are rumours that she might want to come back to England and coach, although that may just be wishful thinking by uh, by some of the uh, England fans. Who knows? She's She's a funny personality, Jill Ellis, because she obviously came in for loads of criticism by Hope Solo before this World Cup began. And she was made out to be a bottler, to be a chicken, to be um, unable to accept any negative criticism or want to level any negative criticism at her players. But, you know, she has proven at this tournament that she is one of the world's best coaches in this game. Um, so exciting for her. In terms of the USA team, you know, don't write them off because it feels like there's Megan Rapino and Alex Morgan and they've been around for ages. But when you look at Rose Lavelle, who scored the second goal in that final yesterday, I mean, that's what you're inheriting. Mm-hmm. And you forget that these top-level American players come into it late. So because of the Title IX, because of the equal opportunities in the way that uh, boys and girls play football, they, 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 they then go through a college system. And when you're through that college system, then you can be signed by a club. So actually, it happens a lot later in the women's game. So that's why we're really only hearing about players like Rose Lavelle, who's, what, 24, 25. Um, she's really exciting for them. Kristen Press, you know, they, they have some... And, 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 and I would never worry about whether they've got the next wave of players. They've been doing this consistently since the 90s. Clearly, the rest of the world has caught up with them a little bit in this tournament. It seemed like it was harder going for them than expected in some places. But given the cultural differences and how it's set up, as you say, with the the system of they coming through a bit later, how does the rest of the world catch up to them? Well, funnily enough, 
that account, that um, college system may well be their undoing because of that system. Um, it takes a while, as we've said, for girls, or women to reach the stage where they're playing professional top flight soccer. In Europe, it's completely different. We can take on a player from the age of, and I forget exactly what it is, but let's say it's 18, and we can start developing players through our academy systems. So what we get the chance to do in Europe and all throughout the world is we get the chance to potentially develop our players into full-time professionals at an earlier point. And I think what you will see, because we're now seeing a lot more leagues professional throughout the world, I think what you'll see is the improvement will skyrocket between the ages of you know 16 and 23 for our players. So that in probably a couple of World Cup cycles, you'll see the USA struggle because they don't have the chance to get in there early like we do. So that's where it potentially gets really interesting. Yeah, I didn't really realise that could be a possibly a thing. Uh, it seems to be that uh, these massive clubs, as they get more success and uh, with the, the post-World Cup interest hopefully they'll get, they'll be able to put more money into their youth teams and then it is specialised coaching is how you'll be able to get those better players coming through. Yeah. Like you can see it in the standard of goalkeeping has gone up so much because they've got special coaches now, they be more focused on it and there's more money not just to pay players but to have more coaching staff. And you see that through... like. All different kind of leagues yeah. that want to have it. I think England is the is the best funded team at this tournament, um, and we've we are into the second cycle of a five year plan by the FA to increase not only participation but also increase the performance of our of our international team, and therefore that then caused the the ripple effect where we're all a lot more engaged, where the women's game is getting bigger, that smaller clubs are starting to get revenue, that it can become a full time thing. Um, and I think you are now starting to see the products of that. I think we I think we were great in 2015, but other teams were questionable. And I think that we did have a bit of luck on our side. In this team, in this tournament, we thoroughly deserved our, our semi-final place. And there's no bad thing losing out to the champions, is there? So I think, you know, that you can look at the English model. I don't think it even needs to be as much money, but you can look at the English model and you can definitely see how other teams are going to develop. What about Megan Rapino Hadra? The name will probably all be uh, remembering for long after this tournament has finished. She won the Golden Boot and the Golden Ball Awards. Was she your standout player of the entire tournament? Yeah, definitely. And I think that I loved her celebration. I just thought it was absolutely brilliant. And every time, I, you just can't get angry at that. The way that she's so brilliant, she knows she is, and she she wasn't. Yes, some people thought it was arrogant, but I thought it was brilliant. You know, she knows she's amazing. She's so supportive. Uh, is that the standing up and holding yes, her arms? Yes, her arms like yeah, that. And, and, you know, yeah. she's glee- like she was glowing. It was it was brilliant. And, sort of an instant gif, isn't yeah, it? When you see that, exactly. And also, I just think she she was a real support to her team in times where they really need it. Like yesterday, she was kind of pumping her fists, like, come on, guys, we can definitely do this. And Katie Wyatt put it really nicely. She said that, you know, by several measures, this was not um, Rapino's best performance, but her quality on the ball, incisive delivery and leadership qualities were still evident in spades. And I think that wrapped up her performance yeah. really well. It was it was just brilliant. And I've, I've genuinely come to really yeah. like her. I should correct myself and say that that was against France because she didn't yeah. play against England, of course. Yeah. She was the bench player. Um, she, her, her legacy, when we talk about how we sum up this, this tournament, she will be one of the summing up points because she's reached the point in her career, she's 34, she's about, she's about to turn 35, so she probably won't see another World Cup. Um, and she has got to the point in her career where she is not caring so much about being outspoken but she's got some really important things to say. Um, everyone's banging on about how she could be the next president of the United States. 
all sorts going on. That's all relevant though, isn't it? Because it's especially this point in history, which I think everyone will look back on in about 20 years and go, what the hell Turning was going point. on then? You know, in the last podcast, we talked about Brandy Chastain and the knees on the floor sports bra showing at the uh, World Cup yonks and yonks ago. Megan Rapinoe's stand for equal rights, her not singing the national anthem, is that moment of this tournament. And we talked about how the USA's stiffest competition was that team with Chastain and Mia Hamm in it. And I think they have levelled, if not bettered it, and I think we'll see the legacy from the current USA team for years to come, particularly if they get all this equal pay dispute sorted out. Kate, these are all quite important and worthy issues we're discussing, so let's have a change of pace now and get into something wholly unimportant. Yep, it's the third-place playoff game. Phil Neville said (laughs) it was a nonsense game. Um, Surely that's only because he lost it. It's just... That's just wrong, isn't it? I mean, we talked about it's, Phillies. It's wrong and it's time. rude to the, the team that came rude. third I mean, in the last World Cup. Karen Khan is retired, for God's sake. It was her last game. She won a bronze medal. I know how much it meant to Karen Carney and those players to win that bronze medal. That was the product of this wonderful tournament that, that was the tipping point for all this investment into getting us where the team is at now. And Phil Neville's called it a nonsense. And he basically says the game should be scrapped and the bronze medal means nothing. Well, Siobhan Chamberlain, who I've been working with during this World Cup, she tweeted afterwards and it was it just went absolutely huge because she was like, how can you how can you rubbish a bronze medal? How can you rubbish what the team achieved? And as I said, that spearheaded the whole growth of women's football in this country. He did backpedal a bit in the press conference, by the way. That's not very Phil, is it? I maintain he's talking too soon after the games. I think it's not the first time he's been <laughs> yeah. uh, He's said something a bit I think, stupid I think in like, the minutes after a game. Oh yeah, he'll definitely look look back on that one and go, too soon. <laughs> <laughs> See, I think that... So I don't dispute that it's a great achievement finishing third, fourth, whoever finishes there. In a World Cup, I'd wonder whether you need this third, fourth. I like in Olympics, it's absolutely there because you have a third place bronze medal, so it's kind of listed in order. Um, the thing I thought about this... England-Sweden game is that it showed exactly what is wrong with the England team is that they don't do pressure situations Fran Kirby turns up for the first time in the tournament as soon as England are 2-0 down there's absolutely no real pressure on them whatsoever in a game it doesn't matter that much I, I wouldn't even put it down to pressure I, don't, I, I have to disagree with that actually I just thought that they came to win it yeah. and they didn't win it and yeah. they were up for a bronze medal and I thought well if we're not going to win it we're not going to show up for this one. I don't, I don't think it was... I think I think Fran had a better game. I think Fran was probably given a bit more freedom mm-hmm. in that game. And that was her time. But I think Fran had the potential to go and do that in any of our games. It just so happened that perhaps she was playing with a bit more freedom. But I don't think that was pressure. Well, that's pressure. it. But I think pressure creates that um, thing where you can't be free because you, you can make mistakes. So you don't want to make a mistake because it causes too much um, hassle for your own team. You then just don't make the same... You can't make the same free choices that you want to if you're constantly trying to battle against the weight of pressure that you're feeling and not want to let anyone else down. I, I think also she had probably one set of the freshest legs, right? Yeah, as well. But then you see like Seth Houghton, who's been, I would say, England's best player. I mean, Lucy Bronze maybe as well, but Ellie White. But Houghton, <laughs> sorry, they were, they were also... She won the bronze medal in the best player competition. Um, but, but Houghton, so the, the first mistake I've seen her really make in this whole tournament was in that game for the second goal. She stands you totally still. You could argue still. she made a mistake for the Scotland goal. 
Uh, I don't think. I think that was more just the play was ongoing. I'd say this one here. Her, everything she does is just slightly weird. She she stands still and lets the player run towards her, doesn't engage her, and then puts her hands behind her back. She's scared yeah. of the penalty. Yeah. But then she she sidesteps it, and it's just yeah. so unlike her because normally she goes like she, crunch she, into it. She she basically has that moment, and it happens in football where you have to commit one way or another, and she did neither, and she paid for it. She had cover on one side, like she 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 would have known she it couldn't go that way. Chase the player down, and she, she, she didn't. She just went. She showed her on the left foot and got drunk. It's just these kind of things I just keep seeing like England teams like, just I, in the big tournament <laughs> the big games things just don't go the way they should I, 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 you there. know again I disagree I think Steph Horton was enjoying the hangover or not enjoying the hangover of missing a penalty and she's incredibly hard on herself mm-hmm. um, a couple of journalists I spoke to interviewed Steph the morning of the game and one of them said to me she just wasn't right like she was about to play a bronze medal match, but she just wasn't really right. She wasn't really there. I think she's emotionally exhausted. I think she's been incredibly hard on herself for missing that pen, which would have got us back into the game and potentially into a World Cup final. That is, if you're talking about not handling pressure, then probably the the, the pressure that Steph Horton puts on herself may be. But as a team, I don't think they're bottling it. Don't think that so, we were up for it. So I think they're a bottling and like that. And I, I know what you mean. And obviously that sucks that she if she's going to be in such a down place after having had. That happened to her, but you like the USA. I don't think those players would have that same hangover. They would just come in and they just would win because it's a different mentality that they've come all the way through youth. It's a different way of thinking, like culturally, maybe in the country. And then in England, it seems to be that that's maybe not what they have, and that's what the next big step is because there are very good players. There. Just win at all costs. It's I don't know what it is. I think you just see it like you see it in Scotland. They just collapse. It's just so ingrained in the country that that it's gets that, that professionalism, point. isn't it? It's that yeah. ultimate clinical professionalism. It's like they accept. So they they got the semi final because that's where England should have got because the players are good enough to get there, and they got to exactly where they should have done. And everyone says they've done what they should have done. Got to the semi finals, but the next step would have been getting over, and it's. But they didn't go to get to the semi-final. They went to win, but that's what I mean. But they, they didn't do it. They went to win and they didn't win. Yeah. But it doesn't mean you give up, though. I just think you keep trying. Not, I'm not saying they're giving up. It's like they no, no, just no, play I'm differently. Not saying, yeah. No, yeah, they just yeah, like you're saying. And Lucy Bronze said afterwards, she said that it meant more to Sweden and that England and the Lionesses have felt greater disappointment in missing out on the final. And it's like fine, but you know, you should still. Going it to win it, it just felt a bit deflated. Did to be you honest. buy that, Hadra? Because there were huge celebrations at the end from the Sweden team. They, they yeah. really, they looked oh, like they, uh, yeah, they've knocked yeah. out England, which I yeah. suppose they had. Uh, in if you, <laughs> if you think you're getting knocked out for the award of winning a bronze medal, England would have done the same, though, wouldn't they? If oh, they'd to- won it? No, totally. That's what I. That's what I'm thinking. Which is why I was just a bit like, did it though? Because- yeah, but you know, then if they're seeing reaching third place, anything but reaching the final. Anything but winning it is a failure. Yeah. That's yeah. what Phil kept telling us, right? Yeah. Mm. And I think they and believed that and they were good enough to win it. Mm. Yes. Was it that mentality or was it pressure? I think it was I think that's that's more spot. I think on. the two the two are totally intertwined. They're like the same thing. So it's like if your subconscious is you're you're so worried about these things and you can't perform in the pitch as you would as a unit individually and they they didn't perform as they could have done in the semi-final like maybe the changes Phil Neville made but I don't think they made that much of a difference there were some things he did mm-hmm. like playing Paris to the middle I don't really understand that but I know you talked about this on the last podcast yeah. but I think it's just certain you just see it in certain situations like pressure situations if there's like a a thing amongst your like a culture in the team where getting to the semi-final that's good enough we've done like it's not that I don't think they actively think we've done enough here we're here they want to win it but they just don't get over the line. And the very best teams with the very best like mentalities are the ones who get over the line. You see it in all different sports. The very best sportsmen, like in Wimbledon, you look at Wimbledon, so like Andy Murray's first British men player to finally win it. And breaking that ceiling will have done 
undoubted good to lower generations who can see they can do it. But until an English team, uh, women's or men's, I think women have done it, it could have done wonders for the men's team as well because it's a psychological barrier broken and they'd be through it mm-hmm. and it could have changed the, how the rest of the country feels about playing that sport. I don't know what the Swedish conger is by the way, but there was a brilliant moment when they came into the mix zone after the game with their hands on each other's shoulders, effectively singing the Swedish conga, I think, or something like that. And it was great because there was a big chain of them, a big like caterpillar chain of them, just absolutely loving it. I thought the Swedish conga was Cotton Eye Joe by Redneck. (laughs) (laughs) Phil Neville said, Hadra, that the team needs to improve 15 to 20%. Is he the man to achieve that percentage improvement. I don't think we should write him off completely. I think he, like, right at the beginning of the tournament, everyone said that they felt like a family and he's really brought them together and they've become this kind of, they're so supportive of each other and I don't think taking him away from that would do them any benefit. I, I don't see, it, it's not like it was a monumental fail. They got to the semi-final. Yeah, I, d- I think Phil will be in that job easily. He's not going to pass up the Olympics and then a home Euros, is he? For sure. You'd be an absolute idiot. And actually, I, th- I think I think the FA have invested in him for the long term. Do you believe in him, Jojo? Uh, I don't see it. I don't see the elite level manager that I think the England national team should have. I think that he is obviously very good at cult- uh, cultivating this family mentality, which would help. But he's already improved the side. Maybe, but then... I don't. I don't think it's too difficult to do that. I think loads of managers have done what he's done. I don't think there's like there's so many people who could have done that. If you look at the Sweden manager, uh, Gerhardsson. So I think they had worse players overall as England. They had a few good individuals, but England had better individual players. And I think he did far more with that group of players, and we'd be more likely to do the same again with a higher standard yeah. than I think Phil Neville would. If you I put could... Phil Neville in charge of like a big, uh, if I took him out of that game and put him into a Premier League club right now, I think he'd finish in the bottom. The bottom five. I don't think anyone's suggesting that Phil Neville should go manage a Premier League club because it's a completely different job. No, no, I different, think he should stay in that job. Different. A completely different job, absolutely. It's a massive job. And I think he he should stay in that as long as he can. And he will learn from the mistakes that he's made. Mm. But from what I've seen from the way his team set up and like, I mean, the, the things he's doing are quite, I, it's very, it's good for me to say it because like, what do I know? I just sit and talk about football. I've not managed a, a team before. But... <laughs> They set up for the USA game. He played. He changed to changed the shape. It was working before. They were doing well. He changed to like a four four one one, which is basically what Man United used to do. And used to play for them, but they had, it's still a four two three one, which is what they were doing anyway. But they were four and four. But his plan was that he just had players like you just watch Tactical her, genius. you watch him. <laughs> but I just, it would take too long if I go into all of it. But you know, you want to double up on the wings. That's where the good players are. So that's what they had to pull the, the wide midfielders back. And then when they want to counter attack, they can push them forward. Just makes it a four two three one, sort of quite quite basic stuff and he just keeps saying like we're going to win we're going to win but I think knowing that USA were just better as a team and individual players if you had a combined 11 you'd get a few English players in that USA team you have to set up differently and I think you should have gone for I mean I think the basic thing would be doing what Sweden has done and then go for a more compact kind of launch yeah, and counter attack type thing I think also the only thing to caveat that this with and, and, and I say that Phil Neville has improved the team already the quality of women's football in this country because of the investment we've been talking about has improved so I think that you do have to make an honest assessment of how much are the is the players' natural tra- trajectory into being full-time professional players how much is that influencing the success of the England team and how much is the manager Well that's exactly what I see and I'm going to I've not seen anywhere near as much women's football as you have, for example, but I watched uh, most of the European Championships when it was on. 
And the difference in England from then till now is massive, and mm. you can see it. I spoke to the um, the, the Hibs captain who's played for Scotland, and uh, she says that the standard of football and the team she's played in, the girls who come into the Scotland squad who are full-time professionals mm. are so far ahead yeah. of where they were before, and the ones who Actually, are semi-pro, that's Lana, unbelievable. Lana Clennon's a really good example of that, isn't she, for Scotland? She plays her, her football abroad professionally, right. as do many of those teams, but she's a great example of how all that's coming back into the mothership. It's great. Like you see, the standard of like Erin Cuthbert is an yeah. actual star, and it's all the back of having proper coaching, full time play, you get better players. You're listening to the Telegraph Audio Football Club, part of the Telegraph Podcasting Network. To find more of our podcasts, just go to telegraph.co.uk forward slash podcasts. Let us cue up the sad French music as we say au revoir to the World Cup 2019. Hadra, was this a successful tournament? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Cue up the the happy French music. (laughs) It definitely was. So the UK TV audience prior to this was 4 million. This came to a peak of like 11.7 million people. You know, I think that to me is just, it's amazing. It was available on TV. People got into it after. Maybe it took a little while for me, like... For people to start watching it, people around me, my friends, it took like a week or so for people to really start getting into it. But it was everywhere. There was posters. There was, you know, people started talking about it more. Just generally in like comment sections of articles, you could see people really getting into it. I got into it. This is some like somebody who's really a newbie into football. I genuinely got into it and started to completely invest myself to the point where I felt genuinely upset about teams winning or losing and I was so invested so yeah definitely I think it's been really successful it's been a starting point I think hopefully for what we're going to see is more women's football on television you know more young girls realizing that this is something that they can absolutely achieve um it's been amazing for me and I just want to see more what are the lessons for future tournaments Kate um I think just ground level lessons, really. There was barely any signage in Paris because the French Open tennis was on. Um, and in Nice as well, where, of course, um, England were uh, based for two of their group stage games. There was very little signage, very little organisation going on there. It felt a bit like the French didn't really know that there was a Women's World Cup going on. Some of the host cities were much better, um, but um, particularly Nice and Paris were a bit absent. Um, I think, I think it's... I think it was interesting. With if, if I'm looking at it from England's point of view, we spoke after the group stages and I felt that there wasn't, we hadn't really got to that engaged point. We hadn't really got to the point where people who, who aren't into football are talking about it. We got to the England-USA game and that to me is the tipping point. That's when, you know, mums in the school playground came up to me and started talking about it. That's when, you know, people on my Facebook thread, which is full of old friends from school and, you know, mums and da-da-da, you know, people who don't watch football, they started talking about it. My male friends who are sports fans but wouldn't seek a competition like this out were telling me that they were crying at the end of the game. They were up in their seat. They were cheering it on. So (laughs) for me... Is there a way to engage that from the very start? And perhaps what happened against USA means that we will get more people, more non, you know, non-avid watchers of football watching from the beginning. I want to see more like World Cup barbecues, more community stuff go on about, go on around it. I think there's more barbecues in general. <laughs> uh, think, Everyone loves a barbecue, don't they? I think it's. Um, I agree with what Megan Rapinoe was saying. I don't think they should have had other finals on from other competitions oh, on yeah, the same yeah. day. I think that's really, really poor of FIFA. 
to not have valued it as the World Cup final that it should have been. Um, I love that numbers are up. I think it's great. And I really, really hope it, it keeps driving on and then people get engaged with the WSL and that kicks off in every other league around Europe. But, like, for example, I watched the England-USA game in a bar and there was a pub quiz on, so there was no sound. Oh, you're kidding. Yeah, yeah. so I watched that. And, uh, and then, so did you do the quiz as well? I did, yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, God. Um, uh, well, I was there all watching. I was there to watch you the game. You should have walked out, JJ. <laughs> well, out- people, outrage. people walked in and then walked out. So that, that's, and I think that's quite... I don't okay. Know, I How did you do nice the quiz? See. We finished uh, third, actually. Right. But, um, yeah. I was watching Better the whole than game. England. When, uh, when Houghton had the penalty, <laughs> when Houghton had the penalty, I went to the bar and said, please, can you put the sound on? Because yes. this is massive. And they did. And then everyone start, w- started watching that and the quiz waited for ages until yeah. that. So quite right. Biff, biffed off the quiz. Good. But at least it's... I mean, when the World, the, the World Cup last year and that was on, there was that, that same bar was absolutely rammed full yes. the whole time. And I just have liked it to have been more um, I don't know to seen more more people to have been there but I really hope in four years time that's exactly what happens yeah. maybe new rules in a couple of years Talking about the WSL where now for women's football in this country there's some talk at the weekend about double headers with men's games um, the, the women's teams playing before the men's teams in Premier League fixtures. is that the right way to go? Um, yes, I think it is. I mean, I spoke to Dan Carter, who plays for Arsenal, um, about this, and she said absolutely yes, um, as long as they are played in the women's stadiums, not in the men's stadiums. So nothing worse than seeing Man United women playing at Old Trafford to not many people in the crowd. If you're going to help it to grow, you you, you basically can't sit them, can't make them play in a half-empty stadium. It's just going to look rubbish. It's going to feel demoralising, and there's going to be even less atmosphere at Old Trafford than there normally is. Oh. Um, apologies Um, so yeah so I think if you use Manchester City and I I I think this is possible but but, but I think you're just going to have to plan it carefully but if you take Manchester City you could um, go to the Academy Stadium and watch the women and then you could go to the Etihad and watch the men really easily and if you turn that into it you know actually City are really good at this whenever I've been there for women's games and also men's games as well where the women have been involved with pre-match stuff you know building up Um, you know really engage the kids so have the women's game on at a certain time put some bouncy castles up put some stuff up for the kids put a bit of a fan day or, or whatever on and then have the men's game on in the afternoon so yeah, I think as long as it's planned properly, um, I am all up for that. Of course, not every team has the luxury of Man City, though. If it's an enormous campus, <laughs> where they've got to. Where no, do Arsenal women no. play? Uh, Arsenal women play at Boreham Wood. At, at Boreham Wood. Um, I, I was thinking again twice because Tottenham have just moved to the Hive. Um, thinking around the different. I, I, I mean, I think. <laughs> I think when it's like that, you are going to have to ask fans to travel a bit of a distance um, sometimes. And so you do need need to think about it carefully. Um, But I think it's possible if it's done over the period of a day and just because the women's stadium might be a few miles away from the men, it doesn't mean mean that you can't have community events either pre-match men or post-match women to kind of keep those fans engaged. I I mean, also... Sorry, but, uh, you know, a lot of the fans going to women's games go because they're disillusioned with the men's game and because they don't have the money to be able to afford a season ticket. So it's not it, it's not always like you've got to have one set of fans travelling from one game to another. I think it's OK to engage both sets of fans yeah. and take advantage of the fact that it's a City day um, or a Manchester United day and run both fixtures together so that in the marketing of the men's game you've got the marketing of the women's game as well and that's probably I think where the success would be I, I think I spoke this before but I went and saw a rugby game the wrong sport uh, this season last season and uh, and they played the, the women before the Saracens yeah. yeah have I mentioned this before no oh right well um, the, I, saw the Saracens, I saw the Saracens play against Glasgow Warriors and straight after 
um, the Saracens women team played after. And so we stuck around and watched that. And then from a maybe 10,000 gate, I think there was about 3,000, 4,000, where it seemed to be, I can't like verify those numbers, but it seemed like quite a lot was there. Um, the other good thing about rugby compared to football is that you can sit around and have a beer in a stand while you're watching that. So that's yeah. a good way to do it. But then I wonder as well with the, these double headers whether it would absolutely knacker the pitch. You've got two teams going on at the same yeah. time. Whether that be in the club's interest. I think um, treating it as a... I like, I like that idea of having it as the marketing being the same but not having it all in the same place. Yeah. Although I would like to stick around and watch after. Yeah. <laughs> a conundrum to consider. Let's finish off with a tournament summary. Quick fire round. The Audio Football Club Tournament Awards from right to left. Hadra, player of the tournament. Megan Rapino. Very good. JJ? Obviously Rapino, but Aaron Cuthbert for me. Okay, good. Uh, Megan Rapino followed by Lucy Bronze, Ellen White. Right, very good. <laughs> Good. I think Megan Rapino. We can safely give that award. Let's uh, let's go back the opposite direction. Biggest surprise. This could be a team, a player, a game, or something else. Kate, what have you got? Marta. Right. I was quite horrible about her, wasn't I initially, JJ? And I think <laughs> I I've felt got... foolish. Yeah. 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 Well. Well. Look, I am quite happy to hold my hands up when I am wrong. That wonderful speech at the end for Marta. She played loads more game time than I thought she would. I thought she was spent, but she turned up at the World Cup and she left by giving that wonderful impassioned speech to the girls of Brazil saying, cry in the beginning because you can smile at the end. It was a call to arms and it was just blooming brilliant. JJ, biggest surprise? Um, <laughs> that an English football team got to the semi-final of an international tournament then had a red card, missed a penalty and crashed <laughs> Please leave the audio recording facility. Hadra, what have you got? So Italy. I think something that really stood out for me was their manager, Milena Bertolini, when she said that they were able to convey a football of change and there's, you know, cultural changes are very slow to come about and with this team she felt what they were producing on the pitch they were able to break some down break down some of those prejudices and barriers. And for me I think Italy did really well and part of me was really supporting them until obviously they got knocked out. So- very good. JJ, best match? Uh, although it sounds weird for me to say Scotland 3, Argentina 3 because it had it was so entertaining had everything it was devastating to watch and live log at the time <laughs> but I, I think that's why I love football these kind of things Hadra? USA versus England I thought it was for me it was best in terms of quality and kind of the shock factor and the excitement mm. um, obviously it was sad for England but for me that was the best match I watched the whole what have you got, Kate? Um, Italy's victory over Australia oh. in the opening group game. First upset of the tournament. We were all surprised by Italy, as Hadras said. Um, they arrived on the world stage and they did it in complete style. And Australia were totally surprised and absolutely hammered in their home country for being, in that game, a bit rubbish. We will stay with you, Kate, for best goal. Amandine Henri. Yes. First match, fourth goal for France against uh, South Korea. Superb finish, top right corner. Um, it just, for me, announced the Women's World Cup. It was the host side, home nation. And for her to exhibit that piece of skill in the opening game was like, come on, we're here, we're ready. Hadra? Tembi yeah. Katlana, her first goal um, for South Africa was just joyous yes. for me. I really enjoyed that. Um, and it's one that's probably stuck in my mind. JJ? Um, I liked Aurora Galli's versus Jamaica, the boot from about 20 yards that went into the top corner. Keeper got a hand to it. Uh, I love those outside of the boot shots. Yeah. Lucy Bronze's rocket, we haven't mentioned that. It's okay, it's okay. There's still time. There's still time. The final question of the podcast could potentially uh, be your chance to talk about that. Hadra, finally, in the quickfire round, best manager? Nwafan Lamsam, Thailand's manager for me. I thought her being how much effort and money and just... It's not about the money, but the fact that she's taken the time to kind of train this team, pay them, 
off her own back. And even though they lost 5-1, her tears were just, it was such an emotional moment. For me, I think, to me, that goes to show just how important it is to invest money into the women's game. The fact that she's taken that time out, or her personal time, her you know, it's just amazing to see that she was able to see them score their first goal. For me, that was, she's been the best manager. Not in terms of winning, obviously, but the time and effort she's taken to, to dedicate to them. Great answer. JJ? Um, I think Jalela should get it because she's won the whole thing, but Peter Gerhardsen, I think, from what he did for Sweden would be what I would say. Yeah, me too. Totally unexpected from Sweden and he's got them playing as a unit and remember they've got this rich history of women's football. They were awesome uh, in the 90s and in the 2000s um, early anyway. Uh, yeah, he's he's got Sweden playing like Sweden should be playing. We've ended on an agreement. Lovely. <laughs> <laughs> Let's finish this episode and indeed this season of Audio Football Club with this final question, which is a simple one. It is, Hadra, what is the one moment from this tournament that will stay with you? Yeah, it's going to have to be the Scotland-Argentina game. I think that was when I realised just how invested I think I was in the whole thing. I think seeing them lose, just spectacularly lose, was the moment that will stay with me because I realised actually I'm really into this. Um, but it was ama- like it was also like a joyous moment seeing them win and then crash down. Probably that for me. JJ? Yeah, uh, when that first goal went in for Argentina when Scotland were 3-0 up, uh, I just knew. And I remember I've seen this before and then it happened. The second one went in off the keeper and then the third and the penalty. And as soon as he went in with the slight tackle, I was like... I have to leave, but contractually, I'm obliged to be here. <laughs> How many years of your life do you think you lost life looking at that match? I don't. I mean, Scotland done it so many times. It's, uh, but I'll remember that. And it's, like I say, it's one of the reasons I think I love football because there's a few things that can make you feel so absolutely gutted. But in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't really matter. But you can still get really invested in it. I think that was, yeah. Kate, yep. what have um, you got? 11.7 million viewers on the BBC, most watched programme this year for that England-USA game and the tide turning in this country after that game, just the reactions that I got, people who came up to me, people asking me how I was, you know, are you okay? Oh God, I'm so sorry, are you okay? You know, they they they, they knew how much it meant to me, but also it meant that to them as well. Um, that's, a, that's a huge turning point for me. That's when the nation engaged. Right, that's your lot for today's episode and indeed for the entire season. Enormous thanks to producer Joel Grove, who's been with us for the vast majority of the season. A wonderful man, a pleasure to work with him. Thanks very much to Pete Norton, the head of audio at The Telegraph, and his team, Theodora Leloudis and Elliot Lampitt, have also chipped in. Abby Patterson, gone but not forgotten, the auntie of the Audio Football Club podcast. And thanks too to everyone who's been on this year, especially all our regulars, JJ Ball, Mina Rizuki, Matt Law, Sam Dean, Kate Borsay, and anyone else who's made an appearance in the audio recording facility we very literally couldn't do this podcast without you mostly of course thanks very much to you for listening we do realize there are other football podcasts out there to enjoy and i'm always so delighted to hear from you to hear from those of you who are choosing to listen to audio football club uh, instead of or possibly as well as some of the others so thank you for choosing to spend some of your precious wireless headphone charge on this podcast Please, of course, let us know what you want more of this season. You surely know the email address now. It's afcpodcast at telegraph.co.uk. We'll be back in a few weeks. You can, of course, contact me before then if you want to on Twitter, at Tom with an H Gibbs. Subscribe now to be at the very front of the queue for the first episode of Season 3 of Audio Football Club. Just look for Audio Football Club wherever you get your podcasts. Another thank you to Joel Grove on the buttons for this episode. And thanks to you for your company. I'll talk to you again soon.